Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness. Good. Uh, well, hey, welcome to the show, everybody. As John figures out uh, his his stuff, we are Men Talking Mindfulness. We are joined today uh, by Major General uh, Greg Martin. John, uh, you want to yeah. roll? No, if you could just uh, read that intro, Will. I'll come back. Hey. Yeah, so today we're going to uh, we're going to work uh, to better understand the critical challenges and resilience required to manage mental health struggles within uh, demanding environments such as the military, and why this conversation is essential for awareness and support. Hello, everybody. I'm Will Schneider, uh, joined by uh, my co-host John McCaskill over there in Colorado Springs, and we are honored to welcome retired Major General Greg Martin, who is the most esteemed military person we've had on the show so far. Right, two-star general, is that correct? Uh, Major General? Yes. Yes, that's Two, correct. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, so uh, General um, Major General Martin is a combat veteran and bipolar survivor, and we're going to dig into that today. He served on active duty uh, for 36 years until May, 5th, uh, until May 2015. Uh, Greg's career marked uh, by distinction as an airborne ranger engineer, qualified soldier, uh, and Army strategist also in, includes uh, academic achievements with a PhD and two master's degrees from MIT, as well as a master's degree in national security strategy from both the Army and uh, Naval War Colleges and bachelor's degree from the West Point. God, uh, you, you're, I think you're way too smart for us already, uh, Greg, so thank you for that. You know, throughout his personal journey of adversity, recovery, and advocacy, uh, General Martin has become a beacon of hope, emphasizing the importance of mental health awareness and support. Stay with us as we discuss uh, General Martin's inspiring story, uh, highlighting the realities of living with bipolar disorder and the resilience it takes to face such challenges head on. He is also the author of Bipolar General Forever uh, War with Mental Illness. This episode is uh, set is set to enlighten and inspire, showcase an intersection of high-performing careers and mental health resilience and awareness. Uh, awesome gentlemen. Uh, just a, uh, I'm just going to keep rolling, John. A couple announcements. Yeah. Hey, so if you want to get in the know of what's going on in Men Talking Mindfulness, please just simply text MTM to 33777. Once again, text MTM. Get in the know. Uh, to 33777. We have a retreat coming up in Colorado Springs in May. Uh, we also have a Cancun, 10 Cancun giveaways, which will be a lot of fun too. So once again, text MTM to 33777. Um, and uh, John, let's. you're going to ground <laughs> us today I, I am with our one breath. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm all set now. The background's right. I'm not sure what happened there, but hey, uh, we're, we're rolling with it and we'll, we'll Murphy's practice. Law, baby. Uh, Murphy's right. Law. We'll practice what we preach in, in practicing mindfulness and and general martin great to have you here today and and we're just gonna uh start the show off with a one simple grounding breath and that's for us as much as it is for our audience and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the show so for those watching for those listening and for the, the three of us here let's just bring our attention to our breath and we'll start by exhaling Letting it go, letting it go, emptying, emptying, holding empty for a second, a nice deep breath in, starting with your belly, then into your chest, hold full and relax, relax, relax. All right, now let's, let's get into this conversation. Uh, and as I was saying just before we hit record, I was telling General Martin, uh, who he has he has said that it's okay for us to call him Greg. I I am retired military, as uh, some of you know who watch the show. And uh, when I speak to a general, it's very difficult for me not to call them general or call them sir. So I may slip up a few times and call them general or sir through the show. But that said, Greg, great to have you here. Uh, the the first question we have for you is when when was the moment. And can you share the moment that you realized that your mental health was impacting your military career? And then how did you initially respond to that? Well, I did not know I had bipolar disorder or any type of mental illness until November of 2014 wow. when I was 58 years old. And that was wow. a dozen years after my onset which the onset was determined later by the VA and the Army. 
So my onset was in 2003 during the Iraq war, but I went 12 years with bipolar disorder that was unknown, undetected, undiagnosed. And during that time, my bipolar condition just rose dramatically. It kept getting higher and higher until I went into full-blown mania, um, which is an interesting story where I essentially went into a state of madness, insanity, and my behavior was so completely bizarre and over the top. People started writing anonymous letters to my boss, wow. who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, and so basically, he did an assessment, called me into his office, and he said, Greg, I love you like a brother. Your performance as president of National Defense University has been awesome. I give you a grade of A+. No one could have done what you did in just two years. But your time at National Defense University is over. You have until 5 p.m. today to resign or I'm going to fire you. Wow. And I'm ordering you to get a mental health psychiatric exam this week at Walter Reed. So I, I got three psychiatric evaluations, you know, that month from the psychiatrists at Walter Reed. And all three of them, while I was in a state of full-blown mania, out of my mind, you know, crazy, insane, they all three said, you're fit for duty. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly healthy. That was in, in July. And in the previous years, when I had gone in with depression and said, hey, I think there's something wrong with me. I, I, I don't have my normal energy and drive and enthusiasm. And three times earlier than that, they said, you're perfectly fine. You're fit for duty. You, there's nothing wrong with you. So a total of six times I got evaluated, three when I was really depressed and three when I was in mania. And um, they said, you're fine. But what happened after getting fired, I, um, I spiraled and then crashed into terrible depression and terrifying psychosis. And at that point in November, four months after getting fired, I clawed my way back to the hospital and said, hey, doc, there is something seriously wrong with me. Um, you know, please check me out. And this time they got some collateral information, which is critical in making a psychiatric evaluation. Um, my wife said he's definitely depressed now, but earlier when you evaluated him, he was manic. And so then finally the doctors on the seventh try were able to connect the dots and say, okay, bipolar disorder, type one with psychosis, and they got it right. But it wasn't until wow. that evaluation that I, real, that I realized and believed there was something wrong. Because before that, I was mostly manic. And when you're manic, you feel like you're on top of the world, the smartest person in the world. You feel like Superman. So you don't feel like anything is wrong. Plus, my performance was extremely high. I kept getting promoted. I kept getting assigned to tougher, more prestigious jobs. So I didn't think there was anything wrong at all until that encounter in the, in the doctor's office um, you know, in, in November of 2014. Now that you mentioned the the onset being twelve years prior, what what did the onset look like for you? So, in order to have an onset of bipolar disorder, you need two things in combination. Number one, you need the genetic predisposition, and I didn't call it the gene because scientists have not yet discovered a bipolar gene that you can clearly identify, you know, through a blood test or something like that. But they know that there is something in the genes that has to be there in order to come down with and have a bipolar onset. So you need the genetics, and then you need a triggering event, which is typically something that's extremely stressful, um, thrilling, euphoric, pressure-packed, dangerous. And so for me, the, the triggering event was the Iraq War. I was a brigade commander in charge of, you know, thousands of troops, combat engineers. And, you know, we were in many respects the lead troops on the battlefield, you know, clearing the way for the armor and the infantry and everybody else. Um, so we had had months of training and preparation in Germany and in Kuwait, which was incredibly stressful, um, you know, especially for commanders and my, my command was of engineers and you know the core commander the three-star that I worked for he said you know he put his finger in my chest and said hey the core a hundred thousand troops um, 
Hmm. We absolutely are depending on the engineers to clear the way, to bridge the rivers, to you know put in airfields, helipads, clear minefields, clear IEDs, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and so the pressure was enormous. And then in Kuwait, um, we were training really hard, really intensively, doing all kinds of live fire drills. But we, we did uh, terrain models of what it was going to be like in Iraq. And we attacked through all of those. Um, meanwhile, we were getting hit with Scud missiles, you know, on a fairly regular basis. And uh, but when we attacked, when we actually attacked across the border, I felt like a hundred pounds were lifted off my shoulders, and I felt like Superman. I was fearless. I felt mm. bulletproof, like nothing could hurt me. My energy level just shot through the roof. My brain was working like a you know a laser beam computer. Um, where I could, you know, look at the battlefield and I could anticipate and solve very complex problems rapidly on the battlefield. You know, essentially, I would identify and solve problems before anybody else knew there was a problem. And all of this is reflective of my manic state, my brain yeah. being in a state of manic, which really elevated my performance. Um, but I was all over the battlefield. My energy levels were incredible. I didn't need sleep. And so wow. the mania really made me perform much, much better. And this was the, you know, was that like, I guess, was that the moment that you started to experience yourself, you know, different? Like when you first attacked and you you had this kind of incredible energy and this this, this manic episode, was that, you know, because I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm asking is, is that like the first episode that you had, you know, during this invasion or is there something prior? Like, what was that moment or when was that moment? Like, you're like, oh, wait, something's different or you know, um, was that the moment that you experienced your first episode? Um, prior to the invasion, when we were in Kuwait, um, we, the engineers, we were responsible for identifying and then pre-clearing as much of the border obstacle system as we could. So we were doing um, reconnaissance along the, the uh, on this highway road right along the Iraq-Kuwait border. And I would play, my driver and I, we would play really loud, intense music. Um, you know, we weren't in Iraq, we were in Kuwait. And I felt this incredible high that would come over me when we would be cruising on this asphalt road, you know, to the to the right was Kuwait, to the left would be, you know, the, the fence, the big uh, ditch, the, the border obstacle complex that we would soon be clearing in combat under fire. And I felt high as a kite. And I remember distinctly feeling that. And the only thing I attributed it to was, well, you know, this is this is war. This is the prelude of war. And amazing things happen to people in, in combat, even though we weren't in combat yet. We were very soon going to go. Um, and then the next big thing I remember was, and so this was euphoric with the music. Um, then when we attacked into uh, Iraq, I just remember this incredibly thrilling, high feeling that I was some kind of a Superman. And what I thought it was, was, you know, God lifting me up and giving me this extra energy to be, you know, a super performer in combat, you know, to help our, our forces succeed and to help America accomplish its goals. So I just thought it was a blessing from God that God was um, helping me by giving me this extra power. Again, I didn't think anything that it's wrong. I didn't think it was weird. Uh, I just, I, I just felt like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so grateful that I have all this extra power and energy, and I felt incredibly good. Later, psychiatrists told me that when you go into mania, it's it's like being very high on cocaine. Mm. or ecstasy, um, all that dopamine in your brain is just elevating things. And that's where I was at. Wow. And, and that's like, and that's a difference, like bipolar too, right? So you go into deep, deep, deep depression, or you're in this grandiose state of like mania. It's kind of like uh, the two parts of the bipolar. Is it, is it just to get this, you know, kind of get a baseline of bipolar? So bipolar type one is what I have. And bipolar type one means you have real mania. 
not low-level mania. And so you go into real mania, which is extremely dangerous and leads mm. to you know deaths, heart attacks, um, strokes, encounters with the police, really reckless, crazy behavior, getting arrested. So I had that high-level high mania and then also depression. But I was lucky during my years of you know intense bipolar disorder, which I still have it now, but it's mm. pretty much being managed and under control, um, and, and then less on the depression side. Bipolar 2 is more depression and then blips into what they call hypomania. And hypomania means below mania. So if something's going on in the brain and you blip up with extra dopamine and endorphins and so forth, and you do have these advantages, but you don't go way up into mania. Oh, thank you for clarifying. Definitely, definitely. That's that's important for our, our audience to, to understand, and thank you for that. And just so you know, I've, I've, we have a comment here uh, coming in live on our YouTube feed. It says, combat engineers saved our convoy in 2003 by clearing a minefield we knew nothing about with no maps or GPS. So there you go, right wow. off the bat, you've got somebody uh, who you saved their convoy or, or your your people, your combat engineers saved them. So that's uh, that's always great to see. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. I'd love to, if we have time at the end, to find out you know who you are, what unit were you in, and where did this event take place. That would be really cool. There you go. There you go. So it, yeah. I'll tell you, it's, it's Shannon Hanks is who commented. But Shannon, uh, if you're still watching, please send us your your information, and we'll make sure we connect you with with Greg. Um, as as far as as you know, once you are diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how how was that received in the military? I know there's there's this big time fear when you're in the military, specifically if you have some type of top secret clearance. You're like, I, I don't want to admit to any type of mental health challenge because I'm going to lose my my clearance or I'm going to lose the ability to carry a weapon. How was that received uh, in the military, and how did you how did you manage that? So uh, November 2014, I went to the doctor on my own, said, hey, I'm really sick. There's something wrong. Please evaluate me. And they evaluated me. They diagnosed me with bipolar disorder type 1 with psychosis. And when they did, I gave the doctor a big hug and said, thank you, because I I knew there's something wrong with me. I just didn't know what it was. And now with this diagnosis, I have a target, a face that I can go after and start trying to fight it, and I can you know, learn all I can about bipolar disorder and really work to get better and get this under control. Um, so I knew there was a stigma about all kinds of mental health. I wasn't aware of how strong the stigma was about bipolar disorder. I mean, I'd say next to schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorder is the most stigmatized mental illness. Um, mm. But I, I basically, right there in the office, I said, I, because two of my sons live with bipolar disorder and they got diagnosed before me. So I had studied bipolar disorder. I knew a lot about it and I tried to really support them. So I knew that scientifically, um, bipolar disorder is a physiological illness or disease of the brain. It's not due to lack of character, lack of willpower, not trying hard enough. It has nothing to do with those, those things, but the stigma exists because people are, they're, they're fearful of the condition and they're ignorant. They don't know the scientific truth or facts. So I said, I am not going to be in any way stigmatized, ashamed, um, embarrassed. I'm just not going to go there at all. And so I made a decision right there in the doctor's office that I am going to own this. This is, gonna, this is my disease. I've been really healthy my whole life. Now I've got a serious brain disease. I own it. And I'm not going to apologize to anybody. So I went and and the doctor and I, we talked over the next few weeks. And the doctor, he realized the stigma within the military. And one of the things he did, which I, I think was wrong, but he did it. He kept my bipolar diagnosis under the radar screen and he Mm. didn't put it in my official records until the day before I retired because he didn't want adverse consequences against me. But but in Mm. so doing, he failed to give me the kind of, you know, tough love, 
the hard treatment that I needed to get better. Like ultimately lithium, the medication is what really saved me. Uh, he didn't put me in inpatient, which I really needed. and It later helped me a lot. Um, he didn't assign a therapist to work with me. And he, what he was trying to do was to uh, prevent sending up a red scar cluster, right. which would have alerted everybody that Martin has bipolar disorder. And so he did it to be nice to me and to take care of me. But in so doing, he, he prolonged my terrible condition and it could have led to my, my death or my suicide. Um, mm. So that was not a, a good thing that he did. But um, the reason this really was not a factor, nobody was looking at pulling my security clearance. There were no promotions on the horizon because the day I got fired, in July of, of 2014, um, I was essentially told, okay, you have to retire. Uh, as soon, as soon as we can get you to retire, um, we're going to, we're going to retire you. Um, and, and so once that decision was made and I was pulled out of my command and put in kind of a holding pattern, um, you know, I didn't need a security clearance. I wasn't around, uh, classified information. I wasn't handling a weapon. I mean, mm. I was I was pretty harmless, and so nothing was really done. But I did, of course, tell my chain of command that I'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So they were aware. They were very supportive, very understanding, and they said, "Hey, look, take between now and the time you retire, take it to get ready for your all your medical stuff, um, get your logistical stuff ready for your move." And get ready to retire from the army. So they they were really good about it. Um, so that's kind of how it went down. Wow. wow. And, and and question. So if it wasn't because it sounds like you know you, you said your sons are also uh, have are they have the predisposition to bipolar or or actually are are have meditation or medication now in order to kind of help them kind of cope with it. Um, and, and then, because my the question the question is, it's like if it wasn't for this heavy burden within the military, uh, would you have manifested into bipolar disorder? Um, first, I'll answer the second question, then come back to the sons. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thank you. It, it's it's unknowable whether I would have you know had an onset or not, but in all likelihood. If I had chosen a different career path with less stress, mm. less intensity, less pressure, you know, less of all those things that you have in the military, if I'd have had a more calm, reasonable, peaceful, tranquil, you know, with my, you know, mindfulness and all that, there's a very, <laughs> very good chance I never would have had an onset of bipolar disorder. And it's interesting, um, both the VA Veterans Administration and the Department of the Army medical uh, people both attributed my onset of bipolar disorder as 100% combat related. So they both pinpointed it, you know, not just on the service, but on the combat experience. So, I mean, and those were two independent, unrelated investigations done by two different organizations. So I think that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. As far as my sons go, both of them started, unknown to my, my wife and I, started having psychiatric problems, you know, probably about the age of 14 or 15 with depression and anxiety and things like that. But they kept it, you know, hidden and quiet. But about 17, it got so bad for both of them that they had to go get uh, psychiatric uh, treatment. And at that point, they were both, and these are in different years, but they both got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, mm. And one of them was hospitalized. Um, it, it continued to get worse for a while. Um, both of them took medication, and the medication did a, a, a certain amount of good, but not really. I, I still don't, I'm not sure if they've ever gotten the, the combination of medicines quite right. But um, so both of them are now in their 30s. It's been life has been hard, especially with relationships, employment and schooling. Um, it's just just really hard because of what bipolar disorder does to you. I mean, um, but uh, one of them is really working hard to get better and, you know, working with the VA, a therapist, psychiatrists, taking medications. It's really doing all the things that you need to do 
the other one is said, nope, uh, I took medication for a while. I'm not going to take it anymore. I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I'm just mm -hmm. not going to take it. And, you know, he's in his 30s. And so, I mean, we've cautioned him and counseled him and all kinds of people have said, you know, you're playing Russian roulette with your brain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bipolar disorder is nothing to play with. It can, I mean, it can kill you. Right. Um, mm -hmm. For sure. And, um, and so he's really playing with fire. You, you mentioned, you know, what what they were experiencing in their personal life. And, and you mentioned uh, a little bit of what you were experiencing in your professional life. Um, how does bipolar disorder manifest in your personal life? And what has it done for your personal life? Um, and how did you navigate these challenges? Well, you know, I was born with a bipolar brain. And I was born on the bipolar spectrum, meaning I was on a glide path towards my onset of bipolar disorder. And it probably this condition started it, it, at least as a teenager in high school, maybe earlier. But mm. it manifested itself right away um, in high energy, enthusiasm, mm. drive, um, mm. creativity, problem solving ability. So in high school, you know, I was like, you know, the all-star athlete, you know, one of the top students, top leader. And it just, it, it helped me because I had this condition called hyperthymia, which is a near continuous state of low level mania. Wow. So when you think about a, a low level of mania, you're just getting this constant infusion of extra dopamine, endorphins and others that elevated me from a normal state, steady state to mild mania and think what that does for you. I mean, it's yeah. like I was on a low dose of cocaine or mm -hmm. ecstasy. It just lifted me and boosted me. And, mm -hmm. at, you know, throughout this time, as I'm going through high school and then West Point and then the Army, I'm steadily climbing up the bipolar spectrum. I'm getting more and more of these chemicals. So, you know, I finish high school. Then I go to West Point. My energy's higher. My problem solving right. is higher. My uh, athletic ability is, is better. Then I go out in the Army, or, or Army Ranger School. I'm, I mean, even a higher jump. And then I'm out right. in the Army, a, a leader, a platoon leader, company commander, battalion commander, brigade commander. And I just keep going up, up, up. And my performance was unbelievable. I mean, I kept getting promoted. Uh, in, in some cases, I got promoted early or below the zone, they call it. Um, I got picked for all the schools. I was an honor grad at just about every school. I got sent, the Army sent me to MIT and said, hey, uh, Martin, your mission is to get one master's degree in engineering. You got I to. came out of there with two masters and a PhD. Uh, now, that right. is not normal behavior. I mean, I could right. read, absorb, and, and I digest a book a night. I could solve all these complex problems rapidly. My brain was like a computer. And yeah. that was, you know, that was really reflective of my, my manic brain. Um, and mm. my, ma my mania was not too high. It was, it was just right to be a very, very high performer. And it continued getting higher and higher. And it's interesting. There's a theory called the kindling theory of bipolar disorder where mm. it starts as a little flame. Like probably back, you know, maybe when I was a baby, maybe in junior high, but this little flame and then through your life, every time there is a bipolar related event, whatever it is, it's like throwing filling on the flame mm. or sticks or little logs or bigger logs. And so the fire kept growing and getting bigger and bigger until by 2015, I was a raging bonfire um, mm. you know, when I went into full blown mania. And so it, there was really, the only thing to navigate was the depression. Um, the mania, it helped me. I felt great, felt, you know, did incredibly well. My performance was super high. But when I would fall into, into mania, and I fell into mania a number of times, I felt terrible with the depression. So I would go from high energy to no energy, interested in everything to interested in nothing, mm -hmm. a flaming extrovert to a painful introvert, um, mm -hmm. you know, being involved in things. Instead, I would be I'd go to my office, I'd shut the door, 
I was confused. I was indecisive. I couldn't make a decision. It was absolutely horribly painful. And it was the inverse opposite of how I normally was. Now that that manic side, now that you've got it under control, because I mean, when, when you hear everything that it did for you, it sounds amazing, right? I like, hey, I want to be, I want yeah. my brain to be like a computer. I want to be leading well. I want to be yeah. absorbing a book a night. But now, now you've got it under control. How does that feel for you now uh, uh, that you don't, or I'm assuming that you don't have these manic episodes? How, how do you feel now? Well, fortunately, my uh, hyperthymic personality, this low level mania, it came back. So once I pulled out of my bipolar hell in 2016, the hyperthymic personality of this continuous low-level mania, it returned to me. And so I am mostly very up, very high, very energetic, with occasional dips into very minor, um, not really serious depression. So I've still got the bipolar disorder going on, but the lithium stabilizes my brain and it keeps gotcha. me from going too high or too low. But the danger of mania is as wonderful as it was, when you're in mania and you go up, there's no telling what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I, I could easily have been arrested, shot, spent mm-hmm. all of our money, um, you, you know, yeah. done terrible things that ruined my marriage and family um, in my career. Um, I, I mean, I got fired, but Worse things could have happened, sure. um, given how bad my state was. Um, so, you know, that mania is great, but the danger is it goes too high, and it brings you down and destroys you, and, and it brings you in a path of destruction. And so, I know, you know, scientifically that that is what would probably happen. And so, I don't want to go there. I mean, I may sometimes think about what it was like to be really manically high and say, wow, that was incredible. I was like Superman. I believed I was the smartest guy in the world. I thought I was sent from God to you know, transform the Department of Defense. Um, I saw demons attack our house. I saw the Holy Spirit come down. I thought I could fly. Um, wow. you know, I, all those things were part of my mania. But if I go up again, I'm going to come back down really hard into mm-hmm. terrible Depression. And depression is absolutely horrible. And I lived through two years of bipolar hell where, I, you know, all I wanted to do was to die. Mm. I didn't want to live. It was horrible. And so yeah. given all of that and, and what, you know, the, the realities of bipolar disorder, both the mania and the depression, I don't want to go there. I want to stay in the steady state and play it safe and have a good life. Mm. Wow. Thanks for sharing. What was like, could you go a little bit deeper into the depressive state? Like we talked so much about, it sounds like you're in the movie limitless, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the manic state. And it also seems like there's also no checks and balances like internally. It's just like, go, 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 do, do, do. Um, and then, and then depression, like, so, uh, what was that kind of struggle? Like how dark would you get? How deep would it go? You know, um, and then also like, what was the ultimate salvation in that or, or, or is it, or just swing up into a manic episode and, and you would just kind of rescue yourself in that regard as you swing back into the other, the opposite of, uh, the other, you know, polarity. Right. Well, the first thing is that, um, when the brain has bipolar disease, it does what it wants when it wants to. So it goes into mania and then goes into depression when it wants, according to its own timetable of a sick brain. It, it has nothing to do with your willpower or what you want to do. So the brain will suddenly decide, whoops, time to go into mania. And it'll just on its own start overproducing and distributing all these powerful chemicals, which drives you into mania. And then it'll say, well, been been manic long enough, let me jump into depression, and it starts underproducing and distributing, and then that drives you down into depression. And then there are periods where you're like flat, where you're in a, you know, quote, unquote, normal range. Um, But 
I told you a little bit about the mania. So the depression, um, my first real depressive incident start, came when we got back from Iraq. And the thrill and the ecstasy of combat behind me, I crashed into 10 months of depression. Mm, uh. it, was, it was really bad. But it wasn't bipolar hell. It wasn't depression hell. I was able to, and this is where the Army structure helped me. I was able to get up, go to work, do my job. I was absolutely miserable. I had no energy. Um, I was disinterested in everything. I, I really hated life. It was terrible. But I functioned, and I, I did a good enough job um, that I kept moving along in the Army. And I had, I had several more um, incidents like that over the next decade. But after um, I got fired in 2014, and I spiraled and crashed into hopeless, crippling depression with terrifying psychosis. Then, and I got my diagnosis, I then went from bad to worse. And I spent two years in what I call bipolar hell. And what, what I would describe it as, um, no interest in anything. Mm -hmm. No interest, no, no, no uh, energy to do anything. So I used to be an avid athlete, skier, swimmer, boater, all that. We lived on a lake, didn't do anything. Had no interest in boating, swimming, hiking. In the winter, I didn't want to ski or snowshoe, which I used to be you know, really, really into all that stuff. Um, so no interest in anything. No interest in reading books. No interest in people. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Completely withdrawn. Didn't answer emails or text messages, even from friends who wanted to get a hold of me. Um, I had nonstop visions of my own death. I wanted to die. And I had one, one vision was that people were spying on me and that they were plotting to get me arrested, put in jail, where I would be beaten, tortured, and then stabbed to death, and I would die in a pool of my own blood, gurgling in the blood. And I would see that continuously, and I could smell it and wow. feel it. Um, then I had another one where this invisible force grabbed me around the, the chest and threw me underneath a speeding 18-wheeler truck, oh. ripping my arms and legs and head off and throwing them to the side of the road. Um, and, and then there were, there were others as well. Uh, every morning, a boa constrictor snake um, with its you know, eyes blazing and its tongue flickering would come up out of the woods, wrap itself around me and crush the life out of me. And so the rest of the day, I would lay on, the, I would lay on my back, just staring into space, ruminating about every mistake I had ever made in my life, going back to when I was a little kid. Um, and then when I, when I finally get agitated, I would dive headfirst on a hardwood floor, banging my head, punching myself in the head and face, yelling and screaming angrily at God for ruining my life. So, you know, that's just a touch of what it was like. But, I mean, every day hoping and praying for my death. Um, yeah. But luck luckily, um, my wife and um, a, a friend from the Army were able to get me into a really good VA hospital um, which really helped save me. And I, I can talk about that. Uh, but let yeah. me mention real quick, when I went in for the intake, and this is really important, the doctor yeah. said the usual questions, are you suicidal? No. Do you want to hurt yourself? No. Do you want to hurt others? No. That's what everybody asks. Mm -hmm. But then he said, and he's the only doctor who ever asked it of me. He said, do you ever have morbid thoughts of death and dying? I said, mm -hmm. yes, all the time, every day, continuously. And he said, okay, tell me about them. So I told him what I just told you guys. And he said, okay, those are passive suicidal ideations. Wow. That means that you want to die. Even though you may not want to kill yourself, you want mm -hmm. somebody or something else to kill you. And the problem with these passive ideations is they can morph into active ideations. And then the next thing you know, you, you want to kill yourself, you develop a plan, and you end your life. And so with that, he put me in the inpatient um, facility, you know, locked up inpatient with a bunch of other veterans with mental illness. And that was, that was a good, good experience. I loved the staff. They were fantastic. And uh, I got a lot out of that experience. 
but what it did is it stopped my decline. So I had been going down for a year and a half and it arrested my decline, but I didn't get better. That wasn't for six more months when they t- we finally tried lithium, a natural element out of the earth. And with lithium, within just three days, all my symptoms lifted. They went away. And I f- suddenly felt great. I had you know interest, energy, enthusiasm, started doing yeah. stuff again, hiking, swimming, boating, um, reading. Um, and so it was really the lithium which stabilized my brain and put me on the right track. Yeah. Wow. And doing all those things, not in a manic way, but just at, in a, a kind of a normal person enjoying their life? Yes. Got it. Wow. Well, I know when, uh, when I transitioned out of the military, I, I had planned for my transition for about two years. Um, and, and even with that planning, transitioning out of the military and, and then kind of losing my identity, if you will, or at least hanging up my identity when I hung up my uniform, that was, that was a difficult piece for me. Uh, for, for you, how was that transition? I mean, it sounds like it was very quick relative to uh, how, how it could have been. Um, you know, you didn't have much time. You were fired and then they said, hey, you need to prepare for retirement. How was that for you, especially when you had this disorder on top of it? It was really hard. Um, so it, it was about a two-year period of, you know, acute hopeless depression with terrifying psychosis. And I call that period bipolar hell. And so at the end of my career, I was extremely sick. My bipolar was very, very serious and acute. And so the whole transition thing was extremely difficult. Um, Luckily, I had a, um, they called him an XO. I had a young captain, real sharp guy, who the commander gave gave on loan to me to help me through this process, which was great. So, I mean, he took care of most of the paperwork and the meetings and all the stuff I had to go to. All I had to do was sort of stick with him, and he took care of it. So if it wasn't for him, Captain Jeff Kennedy, I would have been out of luck. I mean, wow. because I was incapable of doing this stuff. And then... As far as the move goes, we were in government quarters in Washington, D.C. at Fort McNair, and we had to move to New Hampshire where we owned a house. And my wife did pretty much everything. I was worthless. I was a vegetable. I mean, I I contributed almost nothing. And so she took care of all that. So if it wasn't for the captain and my wife, I would have just probably been laying on the floor um, you know, like a basket case. And um, so that was very difficult. And then we moved to New Hampshire and New Hampshire was difficult um, because I was so sick and the military was gone. You know, my purpose for living had gone. And then, you know, my brain was a mess. And like I described on the depression side, I had no um, no energy, no nothing. Mm-hmm. But once we got... Um, once I got stabilized on lithium, I, I started coming back. I realized, hey, I, I've got a future. I, I mean, before that, I had no hope. I thought my life is hopeless. I'm never going to get better. I'm going to be sick like this my whole life unless I could you know, mercifully just die. And um, so once I started getting better, I, I, I had to build a, a glide path back to health and success and happiness. Um, it was interesting. One of the things people don't realize about um, depression, after my two years of depression, I lost about 20 pounds of muscle, mm. at least 20 pounds. I went from doing um, you know, like 25 pull-ups to where I couldn't do any. I went from doing you know, close to 100 push-ups to where I could you know, barely do three. Um, I mean, I was in horrible shape. Uh, and that's the toll it took on me, not just mentally, but physically. Uh, people yeah. don't realize that. Yeah. Um, but, but once I kind of got on my feet, we made a decision to move to Florida because of the sunshine, the warmth, the brightness. And, Vitamin D. And as, part, as, as medication for the brain. And once we got down here to Florida, I felt better right away. And then we said, well, we need to meet some friends. And so we started, we had a strategy to make a friend every day and then be a friend and try to be, you know, really good friends with people. Um, and then I, I really struggled with um, uh, purpose. 
you know, in the military, you have a purpose. It's given to you. Right. I mean, you were a naval officer, John. And I mean, your mission and purpose is the U.S. Navy. You just, they give it to you and then you focus on it. And that gives you all the motivation and the drive and everything you need. Indeed. So now I, I didn't have anything. And so it took me a while to figure out. I knew I needed a purpose, but I couldn't figure out what it was. You know, I really got intensely into church, uh, a couple different churches and, you know, Bible studies and, and the like. And that helped me a lot spiritually. And mm -hmm. I, somewhere along the line, I realized it's probably about three or four years ago. I've got a mission and a purpose, and it's sharing my bipolar story to help stop the stigma promote recovery and save lives. That's it. And it's been my life and my focus ever since. And I do it by um, speaking, uh, writing and conferring with people. And so that that was really a turning point in my post bipolar hell life. Um, you know, once I, you know, I went into extreme mania, extreme depression. And then I came back with lithium and I'm in kind of a, a, a healthy, steady middle zone. And once I got in that middle zone, I think it was the um, it was the purpose statement of sharing my story. I think that was the real turning point in my life because Beautiful. it's bigger than myself. I'm serving right. other people. It feels yeah. great. You get great feedback, make a difference. It's, it's really yeah. good. It's one of the reasons we do this show is uh, giving, giving back. It's a purpose and a, an identity, and, and we know that we're helping others. And, yeah. and that, with that in mind, um, you know, we do have a lot of military people who listen to our show and watch our show. For those who are still current active duty service members or currently serving who may be experiencing their own mental health challenges, what advice would you give to them? Um, because I know, like like we mentioned before, there's that stigma, there's uh, the, the fear of the loss of security clearances and, and the ability to carry a weapon. What advice would you give to those who are still active duty or serving and, and how to handle that? I would say if you think you may have some sort of mental disorder or challenge or illness, um, or if other people, family, friends, work colleagues think, I would go seek professional medical treatment and advice. I would do that right away. And the reason is um, this stuff is nothing to play with. Uh, it can kill you. It, you know, typically someone with a mental illness, it usually, if it's untreated, will destroy your family, your marriage, your career, your finances. It'll often lead to homelessness, addictions, incarceration, violence, death, or suicide. So, I mean, that's kind of the path you're going to probably go down if you don't get help. Right. But on the other hand, if you do get help, the chances are very high that you can live a happy, healthy, purposeful life and, you know, yeah. things will be good. Now, the issue about the uh, security clearance and all that, I continue to hear all kinds of different things. I, I've been at um, lots of conferences and talks where the professional psychiatrists in the military say, you know, it's not true that you're going to lose your security clearance. It's not true that you're going to get pulled off the promotion list. That stuff's not true. That may have been true, you know, 20 years ago, but it's not true anymore. Right. The psychiatrist will say, look, we, the military has invested enormous amounts of money in every single service member. And we're going to do everything we can to accommodate you and your condition to the extent that we can. You know, there are exceptions like bipolar type one, schizophrenia. They're considered, you know, too dangerous to continue to serve. But all these other conditions, bipolar type two, um, depression, PTSD, and, and on and the others um, can be can be treated with medication and therapy and so forth. So the, the professional psychiatrists and the medical people say, hey, we're not going to throw you out just just because you come forward with a mental condition. Mm -hmm. But the other side of the coin is I hear this over and over again from uh, lower enlisted who say, I don't believe it mm -hmm. because you know, my friend went to see the therapist or the psychiatrist, right. mental health people, and they now he's in trouble. Uh, he's not going to get promoted. 
you know, his platoon sergeant, his first sergeant, his command master chief, whoever is got got a you know a, a target on his back uh, because they're telling him, oh, you're weak, you're a wimp, um, you can't handle it, um, and so so forth. So I think the truth is somewhere in between. I know that it's much better now than it was before 9/11. You know, 23 years ago, because back then people were getting kicked out for PTSD, depression, for pretty much everything. Mm. But over the years of war, the 20 years of war, with people doing back-to-back tours in combat, um, the military has taken a much more accommodating position um, in, in allowing people to serve. So I think the truth is probably, the accuracy is probably somewhere in the middle. Mm. Well, yeah. I know we're, we're coming close on the uh, on the hour time that we had promised you before. Um, and and I, I know you have the book out that we mentioned at the beginning. Um, what what inspired you to write the book? I mean, obviously your your challenges inspired you. There there it is, and uh, and how is it being received? Um, tell us a little bit about the book. Um, the book I wrote it in order to share my lessons learned and experience with other people to help save them, their family members, their friends, their colleagues. So I did it purely to spread my story in order to make a positive difference and help other people. Uh, the book is doing fantastically well. It's, nice. It is yeah. selling rapidly, you know, all over the United States, all over the world. It's being translated Great. into foreign languages. Uh, the military, the veterans community, the professional medical community, uh, Fortune 500 companies. I mean, they're eating it up. They're gobbling it up, um, asking yeah. me to speak. Um, it's, a, it's actually even being used in uh, – medical schools um, to teach bipolar disorder and psychiatry. That's how well it's thought of. So it's doing, um, it's doing really, really well. Um, and I've, I've gotten, you know, loads of opportunities to, in fact, it's really overloading my plate, opportunities <laughs> to speak and to, Wonderful. You know, yeah, so it's great. I'm really, I'm really happy with that. So, and I think um, the book is a great resource um, and you, you can um, you can order it through you know Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, the yeah. Naval Institute Press, or anywhere that books are sold. You can walk into a bookstore and they can order the book for you. Fantastic! Yeah. And, and, and what, for those who who are not watching, uh, the general did hold up the book, and we mentioned it before. The title of the book is "Bipolar General: My Forever War with Mental Illness." So there yeah. it is. It, it, this makes me think, uh, uh, Greg. Like uh, maybe, uh, and if you want us to, we can put you in touch with Doc uh, Doc Shauna Springer, who's been on our show, and she has been uh, working within the military and helping uh, veterans and active military, you know, uh, understand you know their their mental health uh, issues and stuff like that. And she's been an incredible. She's fantastic. Advocate. Yeah, she's really really fantastic, and really has an incredible platform, which is helping so many different people, so many different men, really, and military. Uh, people and personnel all all of them you know kind of like wake up to this you know mental health crisis that we're in but also you know that it's okay to have you know to just be where you are with your mental whatever affliction if you will but also like helping people out of it not just um with talk therapy but she's doing like mdma therapy she's doing ketamine therapy as well you know help people overcome uh and kind of get back to you know uh, a little bit of like levity if you will or just kind of a normal baseline uh, base, yeah baseline um so yeah I, I, if you want i would love uh you know to put you in touch with her or even listen to our episode with doc doc shauna springer she's just really incredible powerful force in in the in the military community and helping them uh with their mental health um yeah i would I would love it if you connected me with her yeah, with absolutely. anybody else you think might be interested in the story. Just anybody you know that you think yeah, would be interested. For feel, sure. Feel free. We'll do um, that. Hey, the other, I was just going to mention there's some really good resources for uh, bipolar disorder and mental health. If, if, if you got a 30 second and tell yeah, you. Yes, sir. So, absolutely. Yes. I, actually, I actually think my book is probably the best best one. And uh, of course, you know, I, I, it's just, and I'm getting that feedback from lots of doctors. Um, the second one, there's a really cool innovation called bioeffect.com. It was invented by a brilliant professor at University of Illinois named Alex Liao. Um, and what it does, it uses a special keyboard on your iPhone to monitor changes in mood. Wow. And there's nothing like this. And so you can track mood swings and then take proactive um, response against them. 
Uh, there's another, uh, it's a company called, uh, if you go to uh, grithope.com, it's a company that focuses in mental health and resiliency. They specialize with the military, veterans, first responders, hospitals, um, really, really good stuff. Um, then there's a movie that I'm in. It's a film called, it's called brainstormthefilm.com. It is incredible. It's It will be a PBS a documentary film next year in 2025. But check it out, brainstormthefilm.com and bioffect.com, B-I-A-F-F-E-C-T.com. So those are just a few resources that I would recommend. Perfect. We will make sure those are in the show notes uh, for everyone to check out. And thank you so much for sharing those. Uh, it's really, yeah. really appreciated. I'm going to check them out. I'm really curious about that iPhone one. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And I think it'd be great. Uh, talk to Dr. Dr. Springer. I mean, I think you guys really, I mean, she's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think you guys have a lot of synergy, obviously, what you guys are doing. And to have a voice like yours, especially you're such an incredibly decorated veteran, uh, this just can help amplify um, and kind of rescue people out of their mental health crisis. So um, I really love the work you're doing. I mean, because it's like over and over and over again, how people find our show, some people, they search, they're like mental health uh, you know, podcasts and they find our podcast because it's something that we're constantly talking about because, you know, of the stigma that has existed for a very, very long, long, long time. But now, you know, in the last, you know, four or five years is kind of, uh, just people and men have gotten more vulnerable. Now it's more accepting to say like, Hey, I'm kind of feeling depressed or kind of feeling like shit, you know, instead of always just kind of toughing it out. Um, it's just wonderful that, uh, you know, we're having this conversation today as well as, you know, um, you know, the conversation that's going to continue and hopefully, um, you know, just kind of pull us into baseline, like John said. There so, you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, could, uh, could I make one comment to the audience? Please. Um, if any of you out there, if you like the book, uh, p- please consider writing a, um, a book review and posting it on Amazon and, and yeah. uh, Goodreads. That because what it does is it gives the story a bounce. It amplifies it a little bit and um, it, it could make a difference in somebody you know getting the information or not. So Absolutely. thank thanks a lot. Absolutely. Oh, and, and, yes, sir. And and thank you for being here with us today. We'll wrap it up here in a second. Uh, cool. For those uh, you know who tune in regularly, you know we wrap it up with a grounding practice at the end. But if you tune out before that, we just want to thank you for tuning in. And we want to thank the general again for being here with us today. If you enjoyed the show and if you got something out of it, please share it with your friends, family, colleagues, whoever you think could benefit from hearing the general's yeah. message. So um, th- that said, hey, Will, I'll kick it over to you for the closing practice and to wrap it up and a bow yeah let's get back to baseline by just finding some really easy simple breathing you know that's, I mean, that's really what it takes i mean in order you know i mean bipolar disorder and and being in mania or being in deep depression is something different but if uh if you're not uh dealing with that i mean just to take a couple breaths and kind of help thing to relax naturally relax the mind and the body right getting to that nice little baseline baseline of calm cool and connected and you know getting out of that fog of distress and and really like you know and when you're that natural calm and natural clarity and all like the wonderful things that come when we just relax the body and all it takes is just five breaths just like this and we're going to do the our bamo breath john uh brought to us by dr seth hickerson another veteran uh you know uh, greg uh, who's been on our show and and is a really good friend of ours and all we're going to do is inhale for four seconds through the nose and exhale nice and long and slow out the mouth like you're kind of uh pushing the breath through a straw and that's it we're going to five times you know I like to close my eyes when I do this. Uh, you, you can do this while you're driving or, you know, obviously you want to keep your eyes open when you're driving. Um, but uh, you know, I like to close my eyes so I can really feel more of my breath and kind of release so much of that, uh, you know, the digital spectrum, which just brings up so much information, activates our brain in such a big way. So let's do that. Uh, so close the eyes if you can. Uh, exhale the breath all the way out. Maybe sit with a nice kind of a poised and a, like a longer dignified posture to bring your lungs forward. And let's take that first inhale for four seconds, three, big breath, two, one, and exhale out the mouth. Nice, calm, smooth, and slow, like a calm, warm summer breeze. All right, and again, in for four. Out, nice and easy.
again in. And out. And just two more. In, big belly breath. So really deep breath. Broad breath. Fill to the top. And let it go again. And just see if on your exhale, maybe just see if you can ground yourself a little bit more intently into the here and now through your body. And we'll do one more. In, big belly breath. Four. And let it go out. Before you open your eyes or just kind of notice if your eyes are open, just notice if that has changed anything. It's just like literally maybe one minute of breathing. And uh, this can really, you know, maybe help change the course of your day, maybe change the course of your life by just taking a couple of breaths, calming the mind and the body, uh, letting go of that fog of distress and tapping into the here and now. Um, so... Good. Open your eyes and you're ready. Um, Major General, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all, I, all, everything you've said today, being so vulnerable, being so authentic, sharing your story, because uh, it's just so incredibly helpful that all of the, you know, the, the audience that we have out there that's listening. So really appreciate you coming on today. Will and John, thank you both very much. I appreciate you connecting with me and you did a great job. The show is fantastic. Thank, thank you. you, sir. Appreciate that. For our audience, yeah. until next time, we'll see you later. Peace. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you on your life journey. New episodes are being published every week, so please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.